We have made it to Psalm 5, again, another Psalm of David. Actually, if you look at the heading, To the choir master for the flutes, a Psalm of David. These headings that you see in these Psalms, not the ones above that statement, but the one to the choir master for the flutes, a Psalm of David, that that's from the... The, the Hebrew text. That's a part of the scriptures. That's not included by the person, the the, the publisher of the scriptures. Now the, the bigger headings are, those aren't the, those aren't the word of God. But those smaller headings before some of the psalms, not all the psalms have them, are actually from the t- the Hebrew text. And so it's interesting to see, especially when you read some of the content of some of these psalms that David wrote some of this stuff to be sung. Uh, And if if you have any understanding of Psalm 5, you realize, oh, that's that's a pretty intimidating uh, hymn to sing. So we we start in Psalm 5, we probably make it into verse 7. Lord willing, this evening. Uh, and it, it is written as a prayer, David speaking to God, and it, that becomes very clear in the beginning. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Now, there are three things that that I want to quickly um, point out here, and it's it's about David's attitude as he prays, as he as this prayer begins. Um, and it, th- this might what I the first thing that jumped out at me was this son to father like attitude uh he uses now in in some other in some of the other translations instead of give ear to my word O lord consider my groanings the word meditation is used and that word kind of kind of goes back and forth in the in the old testament depending on how it's translated but he he cries out for uh, the Lord to listen to him, to consider him, to give attention to the sound of my cry. And it, to me it was just, I just heard the, the desire of a son calling out to a father. Um, a son seeking the ear of his father. A son who is in trouble, groaning, crying, hear my words. And I the one thing I just want to remind you of that I know you know, but it's good to have in our minds, is we must remember the the kindness and goodness of God towards us as a father. Now, some of us have a tainted idea of father because of our physical father, our, our earthly father. Some have just maybe you have not had a father. Maybe you had the greatest father. Whatever the circumstances and situations are, God is the greatest father. 
and he acts to his children as a father. And one of the best examples is written in Matthew, and I'll read it to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. That's what David's doing. He's praying. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Now, you got to keep in mind, and this will come, come forward as we look at Psalm 5. Who's he calling evil? You then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Is he just pointing out a bunch of evil dads in the crowd? Who's he calling evil? The people. Yeah. Humanity. In contrast to what? God. Again, I know I make this point quite often. We've been so... We've been so sort of redirected to think evil... When we think about evil, to think about horror movies. Huh? There's only one who's good, right? One who's right and righteous. And so by that standard, the opposite of good is evil. So we have to... and So people get offended. You don't call me evil. But in the back of their mind, they might be thinking about Jeffrey Dahmer or... Somebody like that, who is evil. But the only difference between... Hold on to your seat here. The only difference between you and I and Jeffrey Dahmer is the grace of God. You understand? The only difference between Mother Teresa and Hitler is the grace of God. They both fit in that category in comparison to God. Okay? I, I didn't plan on going down that path. But... Jesus says, if you then, the crowd, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, give good things to those who ask him? And I want that to feel painful a little bit. Because we take that for granted. Or, I don't that's not the right word. We forget or we assume... I, I, neglect, that's the word I'm thinking about. We neglect God, who is a good father, and gives good gifts to who? Well, interesting. Number one, they're evil in his eyes. But number two, what have they done? They've asked. They prayed. Right? And we, we saw in Psalm 3 and 4... Who does the Lord hear? The righteous, the upright, right? He listens and hears his children. He gives good gifts to those who ask him. And that's what David's doing. He's praying. He's praying to the Lord, his father, asking, seeking. Um, you know Romans 8. Uh, he who spared his own son 
will he not give us what? All things. All things. He gave us his son. No, I heard somebody this week or this last week say, what's the biggest hindrance between you and God? And, you know, our thought is sin. And he said, it's actually the fact that he would give his son. Like, he didn't have to. It's his son. Right? And I thought that was... That was interesting. So David approaches God like a son approaches a good father. But then we see in verse 2, he also approaches him as a subject, as a subject to the king, which David is what? King. But yet he understands his place. He understands the rule, reign, and authority of Yahweh. He approaches him as creation before God, the divine creator. He says, give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God. That mimics, it reminded me of Thomas, you know, as he as he touched the, 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 the holes in Jesus' hands and side and he's, cries out, my Lord, my God. He understands, David understands his place as Israel's king, as the number two. There's all, and so there's sort of some wisdom here. There's always someone to answer to. You're never the authority. I don't care how high you are. There's always authority to submit to. Even if you're the king of God's nation, there's still someone to submit to. And none of us are there yet at that, to, that, to that place of authority. It comes to him as a son to a father, as a subject to a king, a creator, a creation, as crea- creation to the creator. And he comes to him with worship and prayer as his priority. He says, for to, for to you do I pray, verse 3, O Lord... In the morning, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. The priority of David's day is set. Worship and prayer is number one. I think that is probably a good priority list. Um, To put him who deserves first, first, in your priority list of your day. So that that gets us through verse one, two, and three. And we've talked a lot about prayer in Psalm three and four, so we, we won't we won't we won't stay there and hover there um, any longer. So now we're gonna go and look at. Let me read four and eight, four to eight, because this is sort of a section. But we're really only going to get to four, five, six, and touch on to seven. But here's what we here's what we know. So he's communicating to the Lord, okay? And he starts telling God about God. He starts saying things that God already knows. Um, he starts revealing in his prayer, in his psalm, char- the character, the attributes of God. 
Now, this is a major benefit of studying the Psalms. Is If you truly study the Psalms, you learn about God. Now, that seems really... Uh, okay, yeah, I want to learn about God. I'll read the Bible. I'm, but I'm telling you, what comes out of the Psalms are the characteristics of who God is. And not just that, but how they sort of engage and work with mankind. Now, <clears throat> so you know how important this is. And I've heard many over the last t- 10, 20 even theologians and pastors who've been saying it for 30, 40 years, that the greatest problem with the church is that the church has gotten to a place. When I say church, I mean visible church, church to church, building to building, is that they don't know God. They have a Bible. They go and they come and gather, but they actually don't know who God is. Now, how important is that to the Lord? On Jeremiah chapter 9, and I know I've read this probably four times in the last year, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it very often until someone will just quote it to me. As I say, let's look at Jeremiah 9. If someone can quote it to me as I turn there, then I won't read it again, at least for you know a few weeks. But here, here's what the Lord says through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast that he knows me and that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. Now, that's how important it is to know the Lord. There's nothing, there's really nothing else you you need but to know the Lord. Eternal life is knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's eternal life. Uh, so what does David know about the Lord? Verse 4. Hang on as we as we go through this, because what we're going to see in four through eight is that not only does God love, but God hates. Not only does God love, but God hates. Verse four, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. God does not delight in wickedness or God does not take pleasure in wickedness. Um, we just read in Jeremiah 9 what he does delight in. Love, justice, righteousness. Love, justice, righteousness. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. So, but he does not delight or take pleasure in wickedness. Now, I just, I spoke earlier about our garden. We have um, cherry tomatoes and Layla... We never see any turn right because Layla gets to him before anybody else does. And but and so I would I think it's safe to say that Layla 
delights in cherry ripe cherry tomatoes now what about zucchini she sticks her tongue out right so Layla I, I'm just, this is a very very simple illustration to show you that a being a being we're beings and God is a being b-e-i-n-g take pleasure in some things and do not take pleasure in other things okay Layla takes pleasure in cherry tomatoes she hates zucchini now that's a great illustration but the problem is is that cherry tomatoes and zucchini aren't sort of the opposite of one another and that's where we have the characteristic of God coming out he has finds pleasure and delight in love righteousness and justice and so he does not find pleasure and delight he cannot find pleasure and delight in those opposite of those things love righteousness and justice he does not delight in wickedness and evil um and he says then there basically at the end of four evil may not dwell with you david says to god evil may not dwell with you now i i sort of had to had to step back from this a little bit because we use the we in preachers use the sort of the phrase god can't or evil can't be with god or god can't evil evil can't be in the presence of god sort of how we say it and it's true but I've always had it, and when I've said that, I've always had it in my mind as some sort of, like, allergic reaction. As if it was just this non, uh, what did word? not as impersonal thing. Right? It's like, oh, if, if evil comes into the presence of God, it just, there's this, it's like magnets or something, and it just, it, it's annihilated. But it's, it's because of God's being. It's because of his character. It's not just like this impersonal allergic reaction that it just can't, those two things can't be together. It, it's literally the person, the being of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit despises it. And you might despise zucchini. Or whatever it might be. But it's not... God despises it so much at 100% because of his, because of who he is, because he is love, justice, and righteousness. And because those are the things he delights in. Because he is so much that, he is infinitely those things that he just has to detest wickedness and find distaste in it. Because those two things cannot mutually coexist. Okay? He will not allow evil to dwell with him. Verse 5. David says regarding the Lord, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Now that's just a bit of poetry, right? It didn't, he didn't say the boastful will not be before you. But what do the boastful like to do? Huh? They like to stand tall. And so David says, 
not in his house. The boastful will not stand before the Lord. Boastful, I looked up the word and I there's different I think I think uh, the King James says foolish and it's a good it's let's go either way. There this word is actually translated in a bunch of different ways or could be to shine, to praise, to boast and in in the in the strongs it says thus to be foolish. Just understanding that Hebrew word tells you a lot about boastfulness. To shine the light on yourself. To give yourself praise. To exalt yourself. Ultimately, to do all those things, that word implies you are a fool. You are a fool. The fool puts himself in the spotlight. That's probably a good thing for us to think about. Kiddos, that's probably a good thing for us to consider. When we're throwing a fit, we're putting the spotlight on ourselves. When we're not happy with what we receive, we're actually stand trying to stand tall in pride. We must remember that the fool puts himself in the spotlight. The fool raises himself up above all others. Now, can, and so by all means, there's no way the fool, the boastful, will humble himself before the Lord. My king and my God, David says. My king and my God. The boastful will not declare those words at all. Uh, of course, we saw in, in Psalm 2, their mindset. Verse 3, or I'm sorry, number 3, verse, uh, the end of verse 5. All right, here's where it really gets rough. David speaks of the Lord to the Lord and says, you hate all evildoers or you hate all workers of iniquity. That one's not, not many people are memorizing that verse. You hate all evildoers. You hate all workers of iniquity. So just so we... Make sure that we understand the words. Um, after Joseph tells his brothers about his dream, do you know what it says they did even more? They hated him even the more. Now you know the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. So we understand what we mean when we say hate here when we think about that. Absalom, we talked about Absalom in Psalm 3, David's son. And it says that Absalom, and uses the same Greek word, hate had hate towards Amnon because Amnon had defiled their sister Tamar. So that that's the word we're using here. You hate all workers of iniquity, all evil doers. And iniquity or evil doers are those who are causing trouble, wickedness, doing acts of evil. Now, there's there's no way around this. There's no way of saying God hates the sin but not the sinner. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't say that in light of this verse. 
Because this is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God hates and God loves. And it's very clear in who he hates and who he loves. Now, you and I, on the other hand, there's a little bit more leeway. Right? To some degree. We've been talking a lot about sex trafficking. Do you think... Do you think it is wrong to hate those pimps? Their evil deeds. Just think about that. Now, Jesus does say, love your enemies. Sylvia's torn now. Right, and so, okay. Make them bear their guilt. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, and and we'll we'll get there, but let's let's talk about that. For us to for us to cry out for the justice of God on evildoers is to call for a glorious act of God. All right? Is God just? And is God one who will rightly judge? Yes. And when he rightly judges evil, is that something that he is ashamed of? Absolutely not. It's something that gives him glory because it it is an act of his holy justice and his holy judgment. Now, we can go through times and events of love your neighbor or your, love your enemy this way or uh, hate the wicked that way. But I think if we as a church... Um, have an opportunity to participate in uh, the fight against such evil as sex trafficking. We want to love those victims, right? But in order to love those victims, must we hate their... um, Perpetrators? I ain't without a doubt. But that doesn't that doesn't say, well then you're not loving your enemy. How can you love someone who is putting children into slavery? How could you love them? This is difficult, but once you think once you think of it, you're like, oh okay. There's the there's the number one thing right there. Right. Right. Because 
minds that are just and unjust. Mm -hmm. And that he calls us to love our enemies, but you have just taking the sex trafficking, we're not going to go up to pimps and just start loving them. Right. I mean, because don't be overcome by evil, because if you join in it like you're wanting to help them or whatever, to beware that you be overcome. So it's a discernment of knowing how you love your enemies, not involving yourself in their lifestyle or immerse yourself in their life style or but well, let me ask you all this question. Can we hate the pimp in a righteous way? I say yes. Right. But, I mean, we're not God. Keep that in mind. We're not God. But we're called to imitate God. We hate wickedness. We hate the sin. Right. And so I think there is a righteous way of hating all evildoers while still loving your enemy. Right. Um, Right, so to carry on hate, let's, it, it, let, let, yeah, so if justice is done in this life. Yeah, let's say they're in prison. I mean, you, you see many people that have been in prison, have been, the gospel's been shared, repentance has been shown, and, you know, they're, have a, they're a new creation, and they now are living a different life. It's not like you're going to continue to. But to continue would be to hate unrighteously. Yes. Yeah. And it would also be willing. It would also be against Jesus' command to forgive or to be ready, in a sense, right. to be ready for to forgive. And I think then we should that we should also that be willing to share the truth with yeah. the pimp and the victim, right. one way or the other. I mean, like, yeah. Share the truth with both, right? So, and if this is, feels if this feels awkward, like talking about hating people and loving, hating and loving, I would say it is because of our shallowness of knowing who God is, and so we have we can't we can't retract from that awkwardness, but go to the Word and seek for wisdom and understanding regarding who God is and how we are to imitate Him. And where we know that we have limitations because we are um, evil in comparison to God. What? Our hate is sin. Huh? Our hate. Fleshly hate. Yes. But spirit, spirit-led spirit hate. Well, that, I mean, yeah, you gotta... And that's what I'm saying. You can say God hates, but that's what I'm saying. I'm just going to say you're aware that, like, God has right. Quickly, my flesh mm-hmm. it, yeah. and it's like become sinful. Right, right, and it, so it's understanding that anger, the word anger and the word hate, aren't always 
aren't always negative or always sin in the negative sense. But that, but that, that, yeah, you're flirting with disaster, as the band says. Hang on to that, because that's a good thought, because when we get down to verse 6 and 7, we see a bit of a, uh, a contrast than that. And so I, 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 I've, I've stayed away from the word hate in the New Testament, because it might it might have different sort of connotations from what we're looking at in the, in the old. But to what you're saying, we might see a little bit here in a minute. Sorry, I, just, I feel like this is dangerous. It is dangerous. Right. I would say if that's if that's your mindset, you're in sin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a, it's a, it's it is only for the mature, the spiritually mature, that they can that they can really walk that line. And so again, knowing you when you know God, you're growing in your in your maturity, and you grow in your when you know God, you know yourself better. Your sinful self better, right? You know your limitations. All right, we, great conversation. We, we got to press on. Just here, just a few more things. You hate all evildoers. So I didn't. Ultimately, what I didn't end up saying was, God doesn't. We we have to throw away the phrase God hates the sin but loves the sinner. That it's just it's just too it's too that you could yeah it's not it's not biblically sound. To sit on that phrase. But you, on the other hand, it's different. Now, I don't want to go down that road because we've already – we've went down that already. Um, verse 6. You – okay. You, God, destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. He doubles down on God's outlook towards the wicked um, you destroy those who speak lies you abhor why is that it's because God is a hundred percent opposite of that lifestyle you destroy those who speak lies well this comes back to the, the men's meeting when we we're going through the seven abominations We've been in Proverbs 6, 19, 18, 19, going through the seven abominations of the Lord. And these two, these, this verse really sums it up. But what we noticed, those things that the Lord hates or is an abomination, have their fruit from the father of lies or, or him who is a murderer from the beginning. That would be Satan. You destroy those who speak lies. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. And then he says, you abhor the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Jesus calls, or no, I'm sorry, John and 1 John, I think it's 1 John, calls Satan a murderer from the beginning. 
And so, of course, God destroys those who speak lies and abhors those who are bloodthirsty and deceitful. Uh, and, and, in it, and it's... In its finality, what does that look like? It looks like 1 Corinthians 6. You do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the opposite of inheriting the kingdom of God is destruction. Destruction. You destroy those who speak lies. It's not a new thing. God's outlook on evil and evil people is not a new thing. Genesis 6, he wipes out the world and regrets creating man because of their wickedness. Exodus 32, 7, Jesus, or God is ready to wipe out Israel because of their idolatry. Right? This is not anything new. God has... Now, I, I, I don't have anything written down, so I'm not going to say anything. So, quickly, I want, I want to make three statements on why it's good to spend time in Psalm 4, 5, and 6. Because somebody will tell you, you don't need to be concerned about that. You don't have to read the Old Testament even. But you have to. If something pleases God and something displeases God, if God loves something and he hates something, don't you want to know both? It's not like I'm just going to talk about the good. We want to be pleasing to God, so we also want to know what does not please God. That's first. Um, it's also good to go back to that to remember who we were before the grace of God. To remember what our position was in the eyes of God. Because isn't that how 1 Corinthians 6 finishes? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. But also it's good for us to know how God feels about the wicked so that we can actually have a conversation with the wicked. If you're unwilling to tell someone that God hates evil, they're not going to really care about Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. It doesn't really make any sense. If you wipe out five, 4, 5, and 6, it, it waters down the gospel. There's no reason to even consider it. But just look at 7 for the transition. And we won't we won't we won't go any further. We won't dwell on it. There's a there's a conjunction in the Hebrew there, and I think every translation that I looked at translated that conjunction but. So all that considering who God is in his dis his displeasure, his hatred towards evildoers. He says, but I, 
Does he say because I'm not evil? Does he say because I obey? He says no, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. What is he saying? Will be in your presence. The boastful won't stand. We know that sinners won't sit in the congregation of the righteous. Jesus called the group of listeners that he was that was following him evil. So what on what basis is David going to be in his presence? On the very basis of God's character. Notice that. The character of God that will destroy those who speak lies is the same character that is the foundation for David's entering into God's presence. If God does not hate, he cannot love. And if God does not truly love, then he does not hate. He is who he is, an outpouring of who he is as holy God who who takes full pleasure in love, righteousness, and justice because he is fully those things, then he has to hate the evildoer. But he can show grace also to the evildoer. That's what that is. That's what that word is. Basic. That word, the abundant or the steadfast love or mercy, is the word hesed. It is one of the most glorious words in all of Scripture. And I don't want to look at it because I want to spend more time on it next week. But it's by the grace of God, the steadfast love of God, the mercy of God, that David, who is one who is deceitful, we know that. One who is bloodthirsty, we know that. Right? How do we know that? Because he killed a man in deceit, right? But yet there is a place for him in the presence of in the presence of God. Now, you brought up Jacob and Esau. I think both. Jacob and Esau can fit in verse 4, 5, and 6. But what does Romans 1 say? What does Romans 3 say? Romans 3 quotes this psalm. For there is no truth in their mouth. They inherit. Romans 3. Quote this. This is the nature of man. Jacob was a deceitful man. Right? Jacob fits in this. The Lord destroys those who speak lies. Jacob and his mama had it. I mean... Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Jacob, or God loved Jacob the way God loves David here. Same way. Out of his grace. Out of his steadfast love. And David and Jacob are not going to say it's because. Because they know, verse 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. The love of God is what I want you to... 
His mercy comes to us because of His steadfast love. He made us alive together in Christ by the by His. I don't even know how it goes. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins. Even when we found ourselves in verse 4, 5, and 6. So I I want you guys to understand if you have a taste of the presence of God, it's because he loves you. It's because he's been gracious to you. And so... We, we see more about who God is, about his, his hate and His love. And we give thanks knowing that we know the mercy and the steadfast love of God in Jesus Christ. Any more thoughts? Good conversation tonight. I want us to spend a lot more time on verse seven and verse eight next week, uh, because those are those those two verses speak to the love of the love of God. Okay, I'm sorry, I kept us too long. Now let's pray and we'll go go back to the house, Father. Uh, this this evening. We seek you in your word, and we pray that as we leave, that that, that seeking does not stop. And, and we, know, we know you, we hope to know you as one who is righteous and justice and loving. And out of that character comes all of who you are. And Father, help us. To imitate you in love and justice and righteousness. Help us to be more like Christ. For his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.